Well, if you have your little gray books, you do have the larger catechism uh, there. And before we dive into the first question, I think it's helpful to just orient ourselves in terms of the purpose of a catechism. Um, why we have a confession of faith, um, why do we need a catechism? What's the, what's the added function of it? And if I think the most helpful way to think of this that will help us um, as we go through it is to realize that the confession of faith is a summary of doctrine that is for the church um, to help us to keep our bearings with the scriptures in terms of what do the scriptures teach on these matters of Christian doctrine. And certainly those are going to have applications that are, that are implicit. We've looked through the whole confession. I hope we've all been personally challenged in some way in our growth, not just in a knowledge of the truth, but as we prayed through that study, that it would lead to uh, a closer walk with the Lord, a better knowledge of Him. But particularly, Function of the catechism is for the individual believer as a manual, a training manual for how we how we should approach life in light of the doctrines of the Christian faith. And so it's going to be very personal. Um, we'll see that in the very first question. Um, it, it is designed to pick up with and to fit with and to apply that then to the individual believer. So how should you live? What should you think? What should shape your mindset? Um, it's interesting to note what areas of study are included in the confession and in the catechisms. There's not a complete overlap there. We won't have a chapter on the Great Judgment Day. We won't have questions really uh, focused on that in the same way that the confession did. And you might think, well, how, how does this fit together? Isn't that just as important when we come down to uh, the catechism? But I think, again, what the catechism really is is picking up on that perspective of we need to remember Jesus is coming. We need to be looking for that great day of judgment and living in light of that. So how should we think and live? What should shape our thoughts and our lives as we wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus? It, you know, we're clearly not supposed to, if we study our Bibles, go sit on a hill and wait for Jesus to come. That's not how we wait for it and, and think of it and allow it to shape us. But it is exactly in living every day to the glory of God. It is not knowing, well, Lord, one of these days will be my last. I want to be found, what did we see over and over in the scriptures? Doing the will of the master when he comes. And so it, the things that aren't explicit are still very much in view in the catechisms that we're not in the confession. We'll have a summary and an exposition of the Ten Commandments. How should we live? How should we um, focus our hearts and lives on serving the Master? Well, we're going to go through a long exposition of the Ten Commandments. Also, on the means of grace, how important they are, the Word of God, 
the sacraments of the church that are designed to um, impress the gospel upon us even further, and um, the Lord's Prayer being opened up. And so just to preview that, and that's a long way ahead of us in terms of our study, um, the catechism is designed to make the applications that the confession implies, but it's clearly more explicit here. And so when we come to our catechism, question one, what is the chief and highest end of man? You might rephrase that to, to basically say, why am I here? What's the point of all of this? What, what do I need to focus my entire life on as the chief and highest end? What is the goal? And everything else is going to find its place under that goal. And so in terms of Christian living, uh, this, this would seem to be a pretty basic starting point. What is the chief and highest end of man? And the answer, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. Now this is a distinctly biblical and Christian answer to that question. Uh, many people, everyone has to deal with this question. And there's got to be an answer to it. And the answers that the world would provide are, are some version of um, recognizing self, being self-focused, self-directed, and it can be all different extreme versions of that, from just self-gratification, that we're going to live for every ounce of pleasure and enjoyment in every day we can, because we, we are only here for a short time, to, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, self-punishment. Well, I know I have a guilty conscience. I know that I don't... Uh, something's not right. I know that uh, there is such thing as right and wrong. I know that I'm, I'm not at peace, and I'm going to seek after that peace. And I'm going to try to deal with what I know is wrong in my life through some form of self-deprivation, self-punishment, and, and everything in between. But no matter what, what the answer is, it misses this first phrase, which means everything. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God. Man estranged from God can't have that as his chief and highest end in terms of his understanding or his recognition. In fact, he knows that's the case. That's what we just looked at in Romans chapter 1 uh, not long ago, that he is suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. He knows this to be the case in his heart of hearts, but... He's at war with that truth within him because he's at war with God above him. So when we, when we are redeemed in the Lord Jesus, that war is put to rest. We're, we're reconciled to our God, and we can once again acknowledge and embrace and love and confess the truth that we knew was true, but we were previously at war with, and that is that God is the one who is our creator, that he has a purpose for our lives. That purpose is found in exalting him, in serving him, in living for his pleasure and for his obedience. Our, our lives 
depend upon him and can only find their purpose and meaning in him. There's no other, there's no other way to find that purpose and that meaning. If we look at Romans chapter 11 to begin with, Romans chapter 11, we have the conclusion here in verse 36 of a statement that Paul has been making in terms of the amazing, astounding, unpredictable, but always faithful wisdom of God. He's been considering God's dealings with the, with the family of man, broadly considered, that he chose Abraham and his family to be the, uh, the genesis again, to, to be the starting point where he would show his gracious work of redemption with a view toward that reaching the whole world as he even promised Abraham, in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And then there's the whole history of the Old Testament, the rejection of those very people, um, by and large, of the very purpose of God. But God's purpose overcoming that, it doesn't depend upon the uh, acceptance or the uh, agreement of any man, but as John the Baptist preached, if, uh, if the Lord needs to, he can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And so that's what we see Romans 10 and 11 describing. God did just that. He raised up a covenant people for himself to love his son and to embrace that work of redemption. And this is where there's some sense of, of justice in the picture. Well, a people rejects God and God rejects them. Maybe that's the end of the story. But Paul goes on to say, no, no, God's grace is far greater than that. And all of those promises that he had given, he's still going to fulfill. He's already faithful. He says, I'm, I'm of that family. Uh, there are believers in the Lord Jesus that we didn't all reject God's son. Uh, I'm a testament of God's grace in that respect. But in, in more of a wholesale manner, the grace of God is going to come and capture that very family uh, on a wholesale basis that they might rejoice in the grace of God and show that his grace truly is greater than our sin. And so... Paul is going through the, uh, the account of God's grace in this way. He is warning his Gentile readers, uh, take a lesson, you know, take, take out your uh, lessons and, and study them here because if you, if you think that you're somehow in a different category, if you think you could become callous toward the grace of God and end up being arrogant uh, toward uh, his his son, well, he certainly can do this in your case as well. And so in verse um, verse 13, now I am speaking to you Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. 
And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God's severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The Deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. And so, it's... it's God making that uh, matter so plain for each of us that we're all on the we're all in the same sad state. He saved Abraham out of uh, a house of idol worshippers, called him to a far country. He saved the Gentiles out of paganism in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's going to save the Jewish people again out of a hardness of heart that had settled upon them that God is going to overthrow and bring them all into the grace of God once more. And that is to magnify that it is all of God's grace. Abraham testified of this. And, and those who believed of the children of Abraham all share that testimony. Those who began to lose sight of that are those who stumbled, thinking that there was some inerrant, uh, worthiness about any of us. Uh, this was the, the attitude that led to such resistance to the Son of God coming to be their Savior. But God will not be uh, put, put off of his purpose through the rebellion of men. And so that's what, that's what Paul just, he stops here in this exaltation of praise, this doxology, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Notice first the, the depth of the riches. 
just how God has so much grace and goodness that he pours out upon what just when we think, well, surely that's the limit. Then God says, no, you don't even know. I'm, I'm about to do a work of grace that you didn't expect. The depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so the, the, the first thing here that Paul, Paul's statement is really focused on is just the simple reality that everything is from God. He, he creates it all. All things are coming from him in the sense that what we see unfolding every day in the history of the world is also from him. Everything is from him. There is no way to overturn the plan and the purpose of God. It's, it's just amazing to think about. Uh, the, the enemy of God being the evil one, he, he's, given, he's given just a little bit of freedom to act. And he does his very best with all of his cleverness to set back the plan of God, to overturn it in some way, to frustrate it in some way. And he even accomplishes killing the Son of God on this earth. And what God just laughs at that. Well, that, that's exactly why I let you loose, so that this would be accomplished, because this must have happened to accomplish the forgiveness of all of the people that you had enchained and enslaved in sin. And so I'm putting you back on your leash now. God is amazing. There is, and that's true of his, of his greatest enemy. It's true of every single individual uh, that walks the earth. The Psalms tell us that he, he restrains the wrath of men and he, he girds himself with the remnant of it. Uh, that he, He's using that just as a tool to accomplish his purpose. There is no way. That's why the psalmist elsewhere just marvels that no wisdom or counsel or knowledge can stand against the Lord. If he allows you to come up with some plan to try to fight against him, he's only doing that to use that to accomplish his greater good purpose. You have absolutely no, no way to fight him. He's the Lord of everything. You, all of us, exist because he made us. And how foolish to think that something that God has made is going to outsmart him or outwork him or, or get around his plan in some way. That's what the, the quote from the Old Testament here is, is looking at. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Uh, do you really think that you, you're going to match wits with the God of heaven? He, he, he knows everything. He knows your thoughts from afar. He knew them before he made the world. I mean, do you really think that you want to get in a contest with this, this God? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? What's the point of that? It all belongs to him. It all answers to him. Everything in the universe, all the material that you might use 
to try to craft a, a strategy or a mount an attack on God's people. It all belongs to God. It all answers to him. He made it. And he's not going to allow what he has made to be used against him in any ultimate sense. So from him and through him, not only has God made everything, and not only is he planning everything, but by his providence, he is upholding all things. As we read in Hebrews 1, that the Son is upholding all things by the word of his power. We don't even fully comprehend that, but the existence of the earth is not independent of God. The existence of the universe is not independent of God. It's not like the old deist concept of God that he's the watchmaker and he's wound up this watch and now it's just winding down on its own strength. That's not the biblical understanding of this world. That at every moment, at every second, everything is depending on God as not only creator in that ultimate sense, but as the sustainer, that he is actively keeping us all together. He's the one giving us our life, continuing that life, as long as it will serve him. As, as the book of Job uh, observes, it is, it is God's spirit that gives life. And if he just withdraws his spirit, that well there goes life there there it is all through him that we have this existence and to him that god has a purpose and the purpose is to to unfold to put on display his amazing um, attributes who he is his love his mercy his compassion his grace his justice, his holiness, everything that is who he is. Why, why is there such a thing as a creation that he is sustaining? It is to show his glory. And that is what he is accomplishing. To him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. In other words, the glory belongs to him. He is accomplishing, glorifying himself. And just like no one could thwart his purpose of grace, no one could keep him from saving an Abraham or any of the rest of us, no one can stop God in bringing that glory to himself. So this Romans 11 passage is really just simply stating the inescapable fact as it is because of who God is. He's at work, and he's accomplishing all of this. And so that tells us two things, then, about our existence. Well, first of all, this, this is true of everything. The chief end of everything is to glorify God, because God is our maker, and that's what he's doing with us. But there's a second aspect of this. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, It is true that everything, everything exists by the pleasure of God and he will accomplish his purpose through it. 
But there are two ways that that can be done in, in respect to his rational creation, these that are made in his image. There are two different ways that he might accomplish his glory through your life. One is overcoming all of your objections and all of your uh, efforts and using that to hit, to serve his purpose. And we just described how even the death of his son on the cross is an example of that. But the, the second of these is what applies to the child of God. And that is, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether, whether you obey that or not, God will achieve glory for himself in your life. But as, as we read in Romans chapter 10, there are two different types of vessels that God accomplishes his purpose through. There, there are the vessels of wrath that he has intended and, and accomplishes his glorifying himself by, by allowing them to oppose him and him overcoming them and using their efforts even to accomplish his will in a way they could never predict. And then there are vessels of mercy. And so here we have uh, this command given to the people of God that whatever you do, make it your conscious aim to achieve the glory of God. In other words, that it wouldn't be in spite of all of your efforts that God would achieve his glory in your life as a vessel of wrath, but it would be through your efforts, by the work of his spirit, that he would accomplish his good purpose, that you would be working with him. And we don't have time to trace that theme, but I would encourage you to look for that, especially I mean, throughout the scriptures, but certainly The end of 1 Corinthians 15, where we read that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And what that means is, again, He is at work in us and through us doing His work, not overcoming us, but using us. We see the same, the same type of idea in Philippians, where we read that we are to... Work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to do His good pleasure. And so we are called then, we're being redeemed to this purpose, to willingly give ourselves to acknowledge, God, this is your world. Everything does exist to serve you, and it is my desire, my chief desire, this is what I want to live my life to accomplish, to magnify who you are, to glorify you, to exalt you with my life willingly. 
And this is where all of the joy of fellowship with God is experienced. This is why we were made, to, to exist in that relationship. And that leads us to the second part of the answer, which is that is not a miserable, joyless existence. That's the lie of the evil one. This is why he rejected the authority of God in his life, that he would be his own God. And this is the lie he, he spreads throughout this world, that, oh, well, you poor, you poor person, bound under so many laws and regulations and uh, just miserable, unable to be free to pursue what you want to do. No, we are the most free because we are doing finally what we were intended to do. We're enabled through the work of the Lord Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Father in heaven. We are enabled to be what we are intended to be. Now, it's, it's a poor illustration, but I'll, I'll mention it and hopefully it'll help us to think about this. You know, we, we, we understand the concept of purpose and utility. Um, we understand the phrase, the right tool for the job. And that when something needs to be done, uh, you know, if you need to um, trim your fingernails, don't get a sledgehammer. You know, that, that's not going to work well. Um, that, that's, that's a very homely example. But that is, that is the issue here. We have been fashioned and designed to accomplish something. Now, who, who is the one denying uh, fulfillment and, and joy? The person that embraces what they were designed to accomplish and does that thing or the person that says no, I'm not gonna do that I'm not I'm not ever going to do what I was designed to do I'm gonna do something different that is uh, a, an act of rebellion but it also is denying all of reality you were made in the image of God you do live in God's world and the, the most joy you can experience in this world is to be close to the God who is the definition of what is good. There is nothing better than to be close to God. And you can't be close to God and be at war with Him. And so in Psalm 73, here's just one example of how this acknowledgement of God as the supreme ruler of all, the creator of all, the giving of our lives willingly to work for that glorious purpose, to, to obey God, to honor Him, and, and not to see all ends. We're just little children. And so faith is, is woven through this, not just that principal act of faith, receiving and resting among Christ alone, but there is faith required every day in trusting God, I'm going to just walk by faith and not by sight. I have no idea how you're going to use what you're telling me to do to accomplish your glory. I can't see that. I don't, I don't even see anybody around me, and you're telling me to work diligently for you 
and not before men. And I don't see how this could make any difference. I could sit on this log all day long, and I don't see how the world would be any different than if I worked diligently. But I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to do what you say in obedience to you. I'm going to do it as an act of service to you. And I'm just going to trust you with how you will bring glory to yourself through that. And so in Psalm 73, verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Look at this picture of, of sweet fellowship with the Lord. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Have you ever either been the child or the parent and seen seen a parent holding a little child's hand across the street or just to walk together? That's the picture. We're walking side by side, hand in hand, with God Almighty. And, and it would be an irreverent thing for us to say, except that He has graciously revealed that is His intention and purpose, and He does love us. So, look at verse 24. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. And so when, and this is a joy that only the child of God can know. Those outside the family of God can see glimpses of it and marvel and wonder. They, they may be stirred up to ask for the reason, for the hope that is within you, as Peter writes. But they do not, they cannot comprehend the joy of being close to God when all they've ever known is the misery of being apart from Him. They do not, they do not know that that is the pernicious lie of the evil one that keeps them in darkness. The truth is that there is joy nowhere else. The truth is that the Father of lights above is the one from whom every good and perfect gift comes. There is, if you remove God from your life, in any absolute sense, you literally lose every good thing. Everything. There's nothing left that is good. And that's what we just looked a few weeks ago at the chapter on the eternal state of men in the confession of faith. And that is the, the language that the Scripture uses to describe hell away from the presence, away from his, uh, from his presence. God will not be present, not be near, not be offering that goodness of fellowship with him. That, that is the definition of misery and judgment. And so the opposite, as the child of God knows, is the closer we are, the, the more dependent we are, the more engaged we are, 
uh, when we are truly experiencing what the psalmist wrote about, being continually with God, Him holding our right hand, guiding us with His counsel, and afterward receiving us to glory. That's the description of our whole lives by God's grace. That it is marked by a closeness with God. It is spent in a service to God, being directed by His counsel and not the wisdom of our own hearts. And at the end, being received to glory. And so that's, that is the Christian's experience. Now, if you take it as a whole... God tells us, and we have good authority in his word, that taken as a whole, the child of God, far and away, has the joy. Um, even even the, the worst case of suffering and persecution you could point to, taken as a whole, that, that person has joy and blessing. They will have an eternity of joy and blessing. And even in the midst of the fire, uh, they have the presence of God to comfort them and sustain them. And they can rejoice in the Lord always. You know, it's, it is a very deliberate and specific command there that Paul gives us again and again in the New Testament. To rejoice in the Lord. It, you couldn't have a command to rejoice always if it wasn't in the Lord. But in the Lord, you can rejoice always. And that, that's an amazing thing to think. You mean I, could, I can lose a child and rejoice in the Lord? Yes, God is so good and He is the God of all comfort that He can overcome all sorrow. And He has promised to make all things new. There's nothing that is ever taken from our hearts that he does not restore and make whole. And that is his promise to his children. And so, as, as the psalmist says, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. And so these two things go together and they have to be taken in this order. There is incredible joy in the life of, of the person who who has the right answer to this question what is the chief and highest end of man and you see the devil he he loves he loves to twist and what what he has done is he has flipped this answer around and also deleted god from from the answer man's chief and highest end is to enjoy himself well, that's, that's a lie. There is no joy there. That's a path that has a lot of flashy signs promising things, but it only ends up in destruction and misery. And so the Scriptures teach us, we've only looked at three passages together, but I'd, I would encourage you to, to think about that just as, the, as an overarching question that the Scriptures answer. Why, have, why do we have a Bible? It's because we need an answer to that question. And God is the one who has revealed it to us. He's revealed himself to us. He's revealed his Son as the Savior of men. And he has given us his Spirit that we might not be left alone as little orphans.
So let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer, and we'll look forward to our time of worship. Our Father, we give you thanks for revealing your love to us. Lord, you could have been our creator, and yet in our sin you would have been just and staying far off. We were the ones who rejected you there in that garden. And yet you did not allow the evil one to overturn your purpose to have uh, these children in your family. And so you promised the work of a redeemer. And you accomplished that promise in the sending of your son Jesus. And you have not left us, but you are with us always. You will never again leave us, Lord. We thank you that truly you do walk with us day by day, even you you live within us. You have made our hearts your abode, and we thank you, Lord, that we have the comfort and the power of your Holy Spirit always available. We pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for the times we have made excuse to ourselves as though uh, we had encountered a situation where there was no there was no way of escape lord you tell us in your word that is not true there is always a way of escape provided and so please forgive us lord for making excuses for our sins at times and help us rather to uh, set our hearts upon this great purpose to glorify you and that it would be father through a willing and joyful life of fellowship and obedience to your commands that we would give to you that that you would use as you see fit and you have promised that you will not allow it to be in vain that our labor is not in vain in the lord and you have promised to to use even the the lisping praises of little children to overthrow your enemies and so what might you do with just a simple life of obedience of any of us, your children. We pray that you would please give us patience and grace and faithfulness and give us faith above all to look to Jesus Christ, to find in him our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who gives us his life that we might live in your strength. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to not forget the great purpose for which we have been made and exist, that our chief and highest end is to glorify you, that we would embrace that joyfully so that it would not be the case for any of us here, that you would accomplish your glory in our lives by treating us as a vessel of wrath. Oh Lord, and we do pray that you would renew our joy, that we would not allow the clouds of sin or circumstance to hide your face from from us but we would know with sure with great assurance uh, the presence that you are continually with us that you hold our right hand that that would be our testimony and, and in that we would have joy wherever we are walking whether it is in the green pastures or even if it is through the valley of the shadow of death we thank you that you are our good shepherd and you lead us and you will cause mercy and truth to follow us all the days of our lives please lord bless us with renewed purpose lord forgive us if we have 
ever lost sight of that great purpose and began living and making decisions uh, around our own uh, desires and pleasures rather than uh, a faithfulness to you. And help us, Lord. It is, it is, today is the day of salvation. Help us to renew our vows of faithfulness to you this day and help us to press on with renewed strength in what you have given us to do. However humble it may seem, we pray that it would be done to your glory and it would be done with expectation looking that you would take it and use it for your good purpose. Please bless us as we gather with the rest of your people in this place. Please come and fill our hearts with joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.